welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Good morning, and welcome back to the podcast. It's Jessica, and I'm so glad you're with us for another episode. Today, I have a fabulous episode for you. I'm speaking with Molly Glasgow, and I originally found Molly on Instagram, where she was sharing pictures of her four children, and they are darling. <laughs> they are so cute. And as I learned more about her story, I knew I had to have her on the podcast. Like I said, she has four little ones, two of whom have Down syndrome, and actually one of them she recently adopted. Between dealing with the unexpected of having children with Down syndrome and unexpected doctor's appointments, therapy, things like that, and then also their adoption journey, you're going to love hearing her story. It is truly a miracle how their family all came together. I want to talk about how they're doing since they recently brought home their son, Fox. Let's get to it with Molly. Molly to the show. Hi, Molly. Hey. How's it going? It's going so great. How are you? Good. You are my second person with a southern accent on the show. Oh, awesome. Hey, y'all. Oh, this, that is the best. I always say if I could, like, switch places and have somebody else's accent, it would be a southern drawl. I just, I love it. Where do you live? Um, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. That's the best. I've never been to Alabama before. Well, it's really awesome here. I mean, we have like gorgeous weather. I mean, it's been like in the seventies all winter. And, uh-huh. um, so yeah, I that's, love living here. That's awesome. I'd love to visit someday. I love the South. I'm so excited to chat with you. Like I said in the intro before we got on the call, um, I found your kids in your feed on, on Instagram and was just uh-huh. immediately drawn in to the adorableness of your children, Molly. They are oh, so cute. Thank you. And, and thank I actually you. reached out to you before you even brought home Fox. So I'm so excited we get the updated yes, version. So for people that may not know you, will you just give a little background on your family and yourself? Um, sure. Um, so I have three girls and a son. Um, and I grew up actually in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is, uh, known for football, Alabama football, Mm -hmm. grew up pretty much, you know, just chasing dreams and had all the support behind me that was needed. Um, I met my husband at church camp, which is sounds so cheesy, but we were, (laughs) I was 13 years old and, um, we dated off and on and, um, we got married really young. Um, we were, I was still in college and um, got married in 2006. So we just had a 10-year anniversary this summer. Congratulations. Um, went to college um, in Alabama, a small college, Montevallo, and um, pretty much set out to save the world at that point. Um, was a social <laughs> work major. And that was like all of my dreams about life really just surrounded like my profession. And I just had all these big thoughts about how I was just going to, you know, change the world through my profession and, um, you know, fight for the underdog. And so as you were setting out with these career goals, Uh how did family, your future family, play into that? Did you have a vision of how you're going to combine those those worlds and those passions, or were you just really looking to pour yourself into your career and kind of see what happened? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that I always, I definitely always saw myself having a family. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really sure, like, how many kids. Pretty much I was set on, like, we'll have eight kids, see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and once um, once I started my career as a social worker, um, the job that I ended up sticking with for five and a half years um, was at a group home. And it was um, for young boys in foster care that... Um, didn't actually make it in foster care and they would come live in the group home and we'd work on behavioral stuff and, you know, through all the hard emotions of being a foster child. And, um, at that point, once I started my job there, I think my heart started to kind of gravitate towards, I could see myself being open to adoption, Mm. you know? Um, and I think that that was really where my heart was moving. My husband, like, I mean, he's, not a social worker, and he didn't necessarily have that heart. He was always open to discussing it, but it was never something that, like, we were like, yeah, one day we're going to adopt, and um, we're going to have all these kids. (laughs) So I think that, yeah, I just kind of was, like, going with the flow, but um, saw myself as a mom, but definitely was more, most of the expectations for my life were surrounding that career um, Mm. and the goals that I had around that so yeah it's so interesting when you start out you know like fresh out of college you're going to take on the world and you're doing well in your career and you're making an impact on these kids and it's like it's sometimes hard to step back and be willing to interrupt your life to start a family sometimes that's a big that's a big sacrifice and it's hard to know how that's going to unfold and look and can you continue working while when you have the first one like you have these visions but you don't exactly know what that's going to look like and so you did continue working once you had willow and uh how is that juggling your career but then also having somebody depending upon you all the time well yeah so when we had willow i mean honestly like it was kind of like we thought about would this be a good time to start our family and it just happened like really fast i know that's not the case for a lot of people Mm -hmm. but it just did for us. So it was like we thought about it one month. The next month it was like, wow. <laughs> we're so done thinking. We're going to yeah. have a kid. Um, so there wasn't much time to plan out really how all that was going to look. We were we we knew that I needed to work. I mean, we couldn't financially um, make it uh-huh. without me working at that time um, because we were like a bunch of kids, you know. Yeah. Um, but when I had Willow, I was work where I was working had an on-site daycare. And I was like, well, that'll be awesome. Like, she'll be at work with me. I could go out there and do my lunch break, see her. Like, it, I mean, it really seemed ideal. So we kind of um, were pretty confident in me um, working and being a mom. Yeah. But the job that I was in was also, you know, like I said, it was at a group home. And I mean, it was pretty much one of those 24-7 jobs. I mean, I was always on call. Um, and at at times it was like 34 children that we were responsible for there. And so it was never ending. Um, Sundays were super emotional and just heavy. And so the hardest part for me was, you know, I have these kids that it's not like a job where you can leave at the end of the day and it stops like their lives depended on me. Mm. And so that was a lot to bring home. And a lot of days I felt like, you know, if I was given a hundred percent at work when I got home, my kids, my, my family, my husband and Willow were just getting kind of the leftovers of that. And some days that looked pretty messy, you know? Right. Um, I remember a lot of days coming home and I'd have her on the way home and we'd, you know, be chatting up about her day and then I'd get home and I would need to like hide in my bedroom for a little while just to process like, you know, what's going on. And, 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was a difficult time. That was probably, Willow was such an easy kid. Like she was amazing. Like she pretty much, like we thought we were rocking at the parenting game because she was like talking before she was one. I mean, just, it was nothing we were doing. She's just an extraordinary kid. Yeah. And, um, she made it very easy on us as parents. Like she kind of <laughs> eased us into parenthood. Well, that was um, nice of her. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely the struggle though. Finding that, um, work and family balance. And, um, you know, I just kind of, I felt guilty if I wasn't giving myself, um, at work and I felt guilty at home. It was a lot of mom guilt on both parts. Cause I felt like I was pretty much a professional mom. Yeah. To my kids, and yeah. then coming home and being a mom. So yeah, that's a lot. That, that was a struggle for sure at first. That's got to be um, so draining because emotionally to be there with your kids, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you know, you're emotionally drained with them. But then to take on, it's almost like you had 34 other children, you know, that you were attending to yeah. their needs because I'm sure you just poured yourself into that work so much. And yeah, that had to be really draining. How did you recharge? How did you get out from under that that guilt and that pressure? Well, I feel like, um, and I loved my kids at work so much and they were, you know, amazing kids and had been through a lot, but they were super draining, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. life sucking at times, that mm-hmm. environment, just because you're dealing with you and you're dealing with just so many heavy issues. And I think Willow really helped me recharge because mm-hmm. I would come home and I mean, she was so life giving and just like, I just felt like it was important when I was at home to like be present and to put down my phone as much as possible and to soak in those moments because she was, she really like in a lot of ways saved me on days, you know, she gave me like the motivation to keep on. And she also showed me that like a child in a stable environment can thrive. Hmm. And that's what Mm -hmm. I yearned for, for my kids at work, um, was just for them to thrive in that way. And so she was just really showing me that like, if I put in the effort that it would be worth it just to see them, like my goal was to see them as successful, um, to strive to be success as successful as Willow. So, um, yeah, so really it was through Willow Yeah. and also my faith. I mean, like I really felt like, um, just leaning on God for that strength, um, in times because there were days that I just, I mean, I was just done also, you know, showed me a life of grace and that I didn't have to be my best all the time that my family was there and they were going to love me and support me and that Willow thought I was awesome, whether (laughs) it was 20% or 100% I was giving her a home, like, you know, she thought I was awesome. So um, that helped a lot. Yeah. And I think sometimes we tend to think, well, we just got to jump ship on this. Like it's, it's too hard. It's too much. I I just need to, to get out of that. We just need to change or whatever. But sometimes that's not realistic. Like you said, financially you needed to work and, and you were doing good work. And sometimes we feel like that in whatever state that we're in, we feel like, oh, this toddlerhood, this potty training, I'm just going to give up or, you know, like fill in the blank or, and there's way harder challenges than, than that, obviously. But Sometimes it's it's being able to change your perspective within the same circumstance mm-hmm. versus just thinking, I can't do it, so I'm done. Right. You know, and I love that you kind of work to endure through that instead of just giving up on it. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Amazing. And so when you decided to get pregnant for the second time and have your second child, tell me about that experience. So, um, when we got pregnant with Wren, it was, it was a surprise. Um, Mm -hmm. I just come from a really fertile family, I guess. (laughs) 
And um, it was kind of like a shocker because I was still trying. I felt like I had a lot on my plate. Like I mm-hmm. was barely keeping my head above water with work and with Willow. And, and Willow was such an awesome, easy kid, too. Sure. Um, so when we found out we were pregnant with Wren, um, I mean, it, I just, was, you know, we, we had no choice but to stay the course. So mm-hmm. keep working, you know, trying to keep uh, the family balanced. But it took a little while to kind of accept, okay, we can do this. We can add the second child. Um, so I kept, you know, kept working and um Life was, you know, pretty normal. We were really, you know, after we kind of accepted, okay, we can do this, um, we were really excited, and Willow was so excited about being a big sister, and um, my pregnancy was pretty normal. Um, Just kind of, you know, went to the doctor, just kind of went with what the doctor said, um, and I did have, like, this random, like, thing with my liver where I had, like, itchy hands and feet. and that was pretty much like the worst part of it. Yeah. Um, other than that, there was nothing that was um, out of the ordinary about the pregnancy. When I was 36 weeks, I went into labor mm-hmm. and I was completely underprepared. So, and I was in denial. And so I remember going into labor and I had a really important meeting at work that day. And this seemed so selfish, but I was like, I got to go to work, you know? <laughs> But this baby's not coming it didn't today. Work yeah, out that way because the contractions were a little more intense than what I thought I could handle. <laughs> so my husband talked me into staying home. So that's kind of how all that began with Ren. And um, when we got to the hospital with her, um, things I think things had slowed down a bit, but they hooked me up on a machine and um, determined like I wasn't making any progress. I was just having contractions, and so they were trying to kind of decide at that point, if they should just try to stop the labor, which is kind of what we wanted them to do. After that point and reality kind of setting in, like they came in and started talking to us about it being, you know, more high risk with her early on. And we were pretty naive. Like we hadn't had like Willow. We had an awesome pregnancy. Like it was so easy. You know, everything was pretty controlled with her delivery. And I guess we were still just kind of in that mindset of like, nothing bad could happen. You know, like, I don't, I just feel like we were just super naive. A few hours after getting there, um, they had me all hooked up and stuff. And um, out of nowhere, the monitors started going off and the nurses came in and threw oxygen on me. And um, like her heart rate started decelling. And they really didn't have an answer as to why, you know, what was going on. But so they started monitoring me closely after that. And that that really freaked me out. Yeah. Um, and so we were there for like two days and this kept going on and I started to feel really out of control because the doctor would say, okay, if it happens again, we're going to go in and have an emergency C-section and it would do it again. Her heart, her heart rate would drop and they would rush in and then the doctor would change their mind and say, well, we'll just wait a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And then you know, we're, I'm, I was terrified. I thought, mm. you know, are we going to lose her? What's going on? Um, and we did know that she was breached, so we had kind of um, processed that a C-section was probably going to take place at some point um, unless she turned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so um, after two days of that going on and super scary, um, we went in for um, an emergency C-section, and... At that point, I thought, if I can just get to the C-section, like, everything's going to be okay. Like, we'll be holding her. Um, 
you know, there was a chance because of her being right at 36 weeks that she was going to go to the NICU. So we knew that just because, you know, that's, that's super common, but they were like, it won't be anything big. Um, he had actually had like a high risk ultrasound, like the day before everything checked out. They like looked her over thoroughly, like, Hmm. you know, there was no indication of anything that would cause any problems. Um, and so, we go in for the C-section, and she's born. The doctor tells me she looks perfect, but she um, started looking a little dusky, and so they were going to take her to the NICU, but everything looked great. And then, um, so they whisk her off to the NICU with a huge team of people. I think there were like 20 people in there, so nothing like being cut open oh my in, gosh. In, in this room where you're super vulnerable with a million people. No stress, um, no. <laughs> and, yeah, so my husband went with them. Um, and I remember sitting there like thinking, this is kind of crazy. Like I, I was by myself, you know, and I had asked several times, like, could I see my mom? Could she come back? And the nurse was acting really like, um, I mean, she was being rude, honestly. And I'm sitting here feeling very vulnerable. Jared had been gone for like 30 minutes at this point, or at least in my mind, you know, I'm like on all this medication. I'm trying to process that they just whisked off my baby um, that I barely caught a glimpse, glimpse of. And, um, by the time Jared finally got back, he started insisting like she needs to see Ren. And so, um, they kind of organized the team and wheeled me down, like in, in the hospital bed to the NICU. And when we walked into the room or when we, when I was wheeled into the room (laughs) on a lot of morphine, um, I remember looking around and realizing like something's not right because there were probably 15 people standing around and they were hooking her up to all these machines. And I was thinking, okay, well, you know, they're just, this is normal. But there was almost this look of like sadness on everyone's face. Like they felt sorry for us, you know? And I was just like, what in the world? Like what our babies here, you know, like why isn't everyone happy? Yeah. Um, and the doctor, you know, started speaking and we're like, you know, she came in and um, there's a lot of in the, um, physical indicators that um, make us think that she possibly has Down syndrome. Um, and I remember being like, okay, like, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, then there were, you know, they were, we heard a heart murmur. And so, you know, we're, we're going to have to have... Um, look more in depth into that and send over the stuff to like another hospital in the Birmingham area. And I mean, after that, I just remember like it pretty much sound like the te- sound <laughs> like the teacher from Charlie Brown, like, wah, 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 you know, yeah. they just kept talking and kept talking and, you know, they end and, um, do you have any questions? And I'm like, what is going on? You know, yeah, like, I don't even know where to start. Yeah. And I remember the only question I was like, can I please hold her? Like, I just saw them putting more and more stuff on her, and I'm like, is, is she where we I, – I need to hold her. But the doctor was like, absolutely, and yanked her up and put her in my arms, and I just remember thinking, like, there's no – like, she is perfect. Like, I was – you know, it went from being like this, what in the world, like, has happened, you know, to everything being okay, so – um, so that's how Ren came into the world. Wow. Um, and it was pretty, it was a lot to process. That so. is, that's incredibly traumatic. And especially after all of that, the ups and downs and then the C-section, it's like to have your baby whisked away and not even have the reassurance of seeing her or, you know, and finding out, oh, she perhaps has Down syndrome. It's like, 
well, everyone still seems so grave about this. Like, what else are they not telling me? I'm sure that's kind of where you were going. Yes, and I and I so I was kind of thinking like, do I not understand what Down syndrome is? Like, I just remember thinking like, why did they look like I just didn't get it? Right. And I was, I mean, I once again heavily medicated. I was right because I just yeah. had a C-section. But they took us up. I had to go back to like to the room upstairs, and because I was on like I guess it was a morphine pump, like I couldn't go back down to the NICU after that until I got that taken away and mm-hmm. they wouldn't do it for like 24 hours or something. I can't remember the exact yeah. amount of time, but, um, so yeah, so we went from that to like, they, they took us upstairs and, you know, we did have like a plan in place at that point. Like after the baby's born, we're going to let Willow come back first because she's the big sister and then we'll let our family come back. And, um, you know, so we go up to the room and I'm like, we have to tell everyone this news that mm. we had, I mean, it was just blind, it blindsided yeah, us. And at right. this point I was still like, what is Down syndrome? Like, I know in my head what it is, but like, I, am I supposed to be, I don't know how I'm supposed to be feeling. Like, yeah, what I does don't it mean? feel yeah. like how everyone was reacting. Wow. And so I remember going upstairs and there was this sweet nurse that had been taking care of us like for a few days. They took me back up to like the high risk floor and, um, she was in the room, like, kind of getting us set up, and uh, we were talking about, well, how are we going to tell, like, what do we do? Do we, we don't, mm. we'll, we don't need to tell her first, you know, like, let's maybe call our parents in, like, we didn't know what to do. <laughs> Finally, we decided we're going to call our parents back and, and talk to them, and at that point, I really just needed to see my mom, because, you know, yeah. you're never too old to just need your mom, Yeah. and I rem- the nurse went out to get them, and oh. my parents come back, and I remember, like, the nurse had told my mom, like, um, outside the door, right before they walk in, no matter what, just be super supportive. And so my mom at that point's like, what happened? Like, what is going on? And so she comes in and I had been looking forward to seeing her because I just needed my mom. Yeah. And she walks in and, and I just like, was like, mom, you know? And so basically at that point, I think our parents had thought something really bad was going on. Yeah. Like, and so we sat there and finally told them, like, okay, well, apparently they think she has Down syndrome and there's this heart defect. And, I mean, I was just kind of, like, waiting to, like, comfort them the way that – I think I was just trying to react the way that they had reacted to right. the NICU. And I just remember my dad, like, grabbing hands with my, with my mom and my mother-in-law and my father-in-law, and they just prayed over us. And they were like, God, thank you for gifting our family. Like, we can all do this together. And at that point, I was just like – I don't know what Down syndrome is at this point. I am on all these drugs, but we can get through this. You know, like, we're going to get through this together. Oh, Um, I have chills, Molly. That's beautiful. Well, I mean, you know, at the time, I mean, you just can't plan for these things in your life. But it was was pretty amazing to know that, like, whatever we did, we weren't alone, you know. Absolutely. And the rest of the day, like, pretty much Jared just, like, he went back and forth to the NICU. And I really wanted him to be with Ren as much as possible, but... Um, we could take like immediate family down. And I think even some of our friends got to go down like one at a time. And so Jared pretty much spent his day like telling our friends. I think he was like, he had a whole like routine worked out where he would get on the elevator and on the way down to the NICU, he would inform them that by the way, um, you know, we're, we're almost positive. She has down syndrome. There's, you know, a heart condition that we're not too sure about. Like we really just don't know what, what lies ahead. And, um, 
And I just remember, like, our friends, like, over and over again, just giving us that reassurance. Like, every person that came in was like, okay. Like, it was a shock right. to all of us. Right. I mean, I didn't know anyone prior other than, like, a friend from high school my age that had had a child with Down syndrome. So I think for everyone, it was, like, a lot a lot to process. Right. But ultimately, um, you just had a baby girl. Like, she's oh, a baby yeah. She's your sweet baby girl first. She's Ren. No matter yeah. what complications may come that is that is still true and they can still yeah. be happy for you right yeah and in a lot of ways like people I, at first i felt re- i think for me i felt really guilty like that i didn't hmm. know hmm. like i felt like there was something off like i've just been going through life like wati da like i'm rocking this mom thing my kids you know like what you know i just didn't i felt like i didn't slow down enough to like know like, mm. I should have known. I wasn't, like, um, I don't know. Like, I just wasn't one of those moms that was just, like, all about the pregnancy and, you know, savoring every little moment. And then I, like, regretted that. You know? Like, I regretted being, like, I don't mm. know. I just should have asked more questions and all this stuff. I, I felt a lot of guilt. Do you still, and, sorry, do you still feel like that? No, I don't okay. think, I don't now. Okay. Um, but I did for a really long time. Wow. And I think the reason I don't now is because of just the people that I've met. Um, like since then, one of my very best friends I've met through the Down syndrome community. And I met her when she was pregnant with her daughter. And um, I just like ha- watching her like process through that, you know, and like having to like have all these fears and unknowns. And, and then watching her when her daughter was born, everything went away when her her daughter was right in front of her and I never had to go through all of that like when I like that was my first thing was Ren was right there and as if I could hold her and I could be there for her like she was ours no matter what so like I never had to have those doubts and fears ahead of time like everything that we faced with with the diagnosis was like with With our perfect little girl in front of us you know and she was so cute. I mean, and she looked like us too. It wasn't like, it was like, there was something like we, it was an immediate connection. Like she was ours. There was no doubt yeah. about that, you know? And so I think that that helped me a lot go yeah. through that guilt was just that, you know, like that, that's not everyone's story, but like that was the way that I processed it and handled it best. And I feel like God planned that, you know? Right. And ultimately so, you couldn't have done anything differently to help the situation or make it the outcome right. any different had you known but like you said there was that that grief and that processing without a, holding a physical baby for your friend and that's true in a lot of situations where it's diagnosed in utero oh um, for sure so and I would have this been is just your way. story I know yeah. 100% I would have been so fearful and yeah. trying to look up every little thing about down syndrome online and here right. I am like it, I think it was good I just really didn't even I didn't know to the point that I I remember the day that she was born, my best friend was actually going through, um, she was in college getting her um, degree in special education. Mm. And she came up and after she, she was at the hospital that day that Ren was born. And when she came in the room, I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And so she was like, hey, clear the room. Like, she's pretty much like a sister to me. (laughs) And she said, do you need to talk to me as your best friend or as? Uh, like Kaylee, the special education yeah. major. And I was like, um, that, yeah, I need to. And I was like, Hey, I need you. What is down syndrome? Like I, yeah. I had that conversation and she was like, girl, 
Like, it is okay that you're asking that. I was like, why would God give me a baby that has Down syndrome when I don't even know what Down syndrome is? Like, Mm. I'm having to ask these questions. Like, there has to be a mistake. And she was like, no, there's not. Like, you don't have to have those answers. Like, you just need to know. And she said just what you said, like, that your daughter was born today and God gave, chose you to be her mom and she, he made her perfect. And like, that's all you need to know. I'm like, okay. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> so, and you're still equipped to be her mom, yeah. even with this set of challenges. Absolutely. Right. right. Yes. So, oh. And so did her heart defect turn out to be something significant or what did that journey look like? So it took two days before we got all the results because she was born on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So that kind of complicated things. So it was like a two day waiting period to find out, but it ended up, it was a small, um, ASD. And so they didn't have to it was something we watched. Mm. Um, and so we would go to the heart doctor, like every, the cardiologist every six months to watch. And then we ended up, um, this past year, we actually, they ended up repairing it. Um, but she did not have to have open heart surgery. It was just like through a heart cath, they were able to repair it, which was amazing. And I cannot even fathom how they did that, but they did. And so, um, yeah, so it ended up not being like as significant of a problem as it it definitely could have gone the other way, you know? That's amazing. Um, So we were very thankful for that because by the time we had the heart cath, like, you know, we felt really confident and, you know, knew her doctor really well and, kind of had a lot more figured out. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. And yeah. so she's how old now? Um, Ren is four and she's a half. She's four, okay. So how has it been? How has your life looked different than those early days in the hospital when you were thinking about everyone's freaking out and acting <laughs> like this is like the worst thing? But how is your life actually and how is her quality of life? And tell people about Ren. Yeah, so, well, Ren is the most amazing little human I've ever met. Like (laughs) she just, I think like she just helped us go through this. So I don't know. It just so, so naturally, um, like she was just like having a baby doll when she was an infant. And I think the biggest adjustment wasn't really anything to do with her or her physical condition, but like, um, having a lot of other people have input into her life. Like, with Willow, like, we were her parents, like, we did, you know, it was just, like, we made all the decisions, like, she would go to the pediatrician for her monthly checkups, and that was pretty much it, like, outside of, like, tubes or something random, you know, but with Ren, it was, like, before we even left the hospital, we were meeting with, like, a a therapy center about her starting therapy in a few weeks, and, like, I was just, like, she's a baby, like, yeah, you know, uh, and like we had all these specialists we had to go see. And it was just like for the first year of her life, it felt like constant doctor's appointments. And like she was six weeks old when she started therapy. Um, and of course, I was with her, but I'm like, you know, it's not, that's not very typical for someone to take their child to, you know, bi weekly therapy sessions at six weeks old. Um, yes. And not so at all. that was kind of an adjustment. And honestly, like, I went from being, like, super confident and, like, being a mom and, like, making all these decisions to, like, questioning every little thing Mm. because, and because I wanted to be the best for her. And I just wasn't very knowledgeable about, like, anything. I mean, I've never been to a cardiologist before, you know, I just wasn't knowledgeable. And, like, he would say things and I'm like, can you draw me a diagram? Because I feel like I 
just, I cannot understand what you're talking about, you know? Yeah. But like, it kind of became like, I don't know. There was a lot of insecurities on my part, but like with Ren, like she just rocked everything. Like they, mm-hmm. I remember early on, like one of her therapy goals was to take two rattles and to bang them together, like to be able to hit them together. And I'm telling you, we worked on that all the time. And I was like, she's never, I just, at one point I remember crying one night telling Jared, she's never going to hit those rattles together. And it does not matter to me anymore. I do not care. Who needs to bang rattles together? You know? When has that helped anybody? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like the next day I was, I had to have been like, it was, I swear it was the next day. She picked up those rattles and banged them together. And I was just like, why did I ever doubt that you could do that? And so, like, just kind of, like, it took a while to kind of embrace that, like, okay, it's not going to happen super fast, mm-hmm. but she can do anything. Like, I mean, and, and, our, and our, like, motto coming out of that first year was no limits mm. because they're literally, like, she showed us over and over and over again. I cannot even, I wish I, I should have kept a journal just to write it down, like, every time I thought okay, well, we'll just give up on that. (laughs) Like, who needs to do that? Who needs to drink out of a straw? And, you know, she would rock it, you know? And we honestly would just, like, kind of learn to, like, embrace that slowed down part of, I don't know, it kind of, like, um, it definitely, like, slowed down life in a lot of ways. And and it helped stretch out the milestones. Mm-hmm. And so, like, whereas with Willow, she grew up super fast, like, was talking before she was one, was potty trained, like, took herself off the pathy. Like, <laughs> it just happened so fast. And then, like, looking at Ren, it was so nice for things to slow down. Like, we could wow. savor it more, you know? And so it really became something that, what for a while, like, stressed us out. And we were so worried and you know, constantly worried about what, you know, trying to do what everyone's opinion was about what our family needed to do. And, you know, we just kind of took it and turned it into this, like, this is actually pretty enjoyable. Right. <laughs> like, it's a gift, you yeah. know, to and be able to live life through these lens. So, um, And you yeah. were on this journey together as she grew and as she developed and she hit these milestones. So did you. You right. know, you were evolving as a person too. You set out like, well, I don't know how to how to read a heart diagram, and I don't know exactly what these terms mean. Or, it, you you started out at square one just like she did, for sure. You know? And you really grew up together in that. And as you've seen her accomplish things, and you've celebrated her, I hope you've also been able to celebrate yourself in that same growth and hitting those same different but but similar milestones in your own motherhood in your own parenting. I think that's really impressive. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's been quite, I mean, we've definitely been on the journey together. That's a great explanation of it. And it has been, it's been a journey, you know, and it's not always pretty. And, you know, I'm not always like this brave mom. Like there's times when I've been like terrified, you know. Yeah, and and all moms feel like that. Feeling, yeah. And like, I mean, yeah, so she's definitely helped me like grow in confidence and also just like embrace who I am. Like, Mm. I don't, like God didn't give her to me because I was ready for it. God gave her to me because for whatever reason, he wanted me to be her mom. And I didn't have to change like who I am and my personality. I don't have to become like a medical expert, you know, like I don't have to, I just need to find like trusting people that I trust and that, you know, like invest in our family and that we, you know, want to have in our bubble. And I don't Mm -hmm. have to do every little thing that someone suggests because I'm ultimately her mom and I know her best, you know, 
And so, yeah, so it's definitely been a, a journey for, for both of us. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that's so encouraging to all moms because even if your child is neurotypical, there's still challenges that come with parenting and hard personalities and, you know, you know, circumstances that pop up as they're growing that it's like you feel like you don't know what you're doing and you feel out of your league sometimes. But ultimately, yeah. you don't have to be perfect or have all the answers in order to still just pour that love into your child because that's really all they need to get through anything. Right. And I think, yeah. too, like the culture of like the therapy world and like the doctor's offices, like that's something that takes adjusting to. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and at first I would get so offended. Like it felt like people were being super bossy and like, well, you guys need to do it this way because that's what's going to be best for her. And I'm like, but we have our entire family to think about, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, but I kind of over time, like learned to like give them some grace because yeah. they're coming from like a professional world. Like they're, you know, they've done all the research and they are just like, wanting to advocate for what they've learned is the very best. And so when they come off as like rude or bossy or like pushy in certain areas, like I kind of had to step back and not take offense to that and like learn that like ultimately we both have the same goal to make Ren as happy and as healthy as possible and to give her the best potential for her life. Mm -hmm. And like it took a long time for me not to become like, you know, like defensive about some of the stuff that, you know, because it was a huge adjustment, but like, that really helped me when I was able to step back and say, like, okay, they're coming from a good place. Like, yes. you know, and, and I mean, it's just like a ton of different personalities, but most of the people in most professions and like, and the people we were working more with were so passionate about what they were doing. And that's what was coming, you know, yeah. coming across. It was like, they were passionate because they cared about what they were doing. And so that really helped me, like, yeah, kind of changed my perspective and the intimidation of that world, like. Of course, like, I don't have to know everything about physical therapy because I have someone coming into my home or I'm taking her to to a physical therapist who that is their life mission to help kids with stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, that was kind of nice to, like, let go of that control and be like, okay, these people are here to help. And yes. I, that's why I don't have to know everything. So, yes, it's so yeah. true. It's so true. And if we can just release that, we can be a lot happier and a lot calmer. Yes, for sure. (laughs) Totally. Well, last Friday, when this airs, it'll be the Friday before your episode, um, I talk with Heather Avis. I don't know if you know Heather. Uh, Um, Well, I don't know her personally, but like... But you're familiar with her and her kids. Yeah, so she just wrote the book, The Lucky Few, about her children, um, two of whom have Down syndrome as well. And Uh what, what really struck me was when she talked about, I said, well, how is your life different? Or what does your life look like that we might be surprised about? And she's like, well, actually... My life is a lot more normal than people probably Absolutely. think. And so when Absolutely. You, when you get that diagnosis, you think, my whole world is rocked. My life will never be the same. My kids will never move out. Like, you get these these thoughts, just arrows just shooting at you. But ultimately, once you start living it, right? And I'm sure, like you're saying, you can uh-huh. agree. Your life's a lot more normal. And yes, there's additional doctor's appointments and therapies. And you have to approach things a little different. You're getting a lot more input. But ultimately... They're your kids. They are your oh, kids. Yeah. These are the factors that affect them in their daily life. And, you you know, they need a le- little extra support sometimes. But they're ultimately just your children. And your life looks a lot more normal. And so I think you can probably attest to that, right? Oh, for sure. And, mm-hmm. like, I mean, for us, like, I guess I'm skipping ahead a little bit out of birth order of my kids or whatever yeah, the sure. order of them coming into our family. But, like, for people who found out about our adoption, like when we when we decided to adopt, we knew 
because we had Wren, like, we were like, absolutely, we will 100% adopt a child with Down syndrome. Mm. Because one, we could not imagine a child like Wren growing up without a support system. Because that has been crucial for her, her cheerleaders, and for someone to advocate for her. And so we were like, you know, but on top of that, like, Down syndrome for us is just, I mean, it's not a big deal. Like, right, it's, right. But it's part of our data. It's already integrated into our normal. And honestly, like when I got pregnant with my um, third child, Pippa, when we found out she didn't have Down syndrome, I was intimidated really? because I was just used to Rin, you know, right. like I, that was my, like, um, you know, the last kid that I had kind of raised up and I was just. I don't know. I was just intimidated because that wasn't my normal anymore to have not have a child with an infant with Down syndrome. Right. And so when we when we decided and we made an announcement about Fox, you know, which we didn't know uh, that Fox would be the one we were adopting when we went into the process, but people were like, "Oh, bless y'all! Like, I cannot believe that you're adopting another child with Down syndrome. Like, that is so wonderful." And I'm like, "It's really not that big of a deal. Like, I didn't." Mm. It just wasn't, you know, because it was, it was our life. That was our family. Like it fit in so naturally into our family that like for someone to adopt that didn't already have a child with Down syndrome, I would say, wow, like that's amazing. Your life is going to change. Like it's going to be very different when you look back a year from now, like things will slow down and be normal, like and and encourage them in that way, you know? Right. But for us, it's like, it's really not a big deal. It was (laughs) It was already your normal. Yes, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, adding a fourth child—that's just tough. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. just a lot of kids. But you know, that's yes, not focusing on the aspect that he does have Down syndrome. And so yeah, so you yeah. had Pippa, and then shortly after that, you started pursuing Fox. So will you just give me a quick little synopsis of how Fox came into your family? Well, when we when we actually we got pregnant with Pippa, she was another. She was a huge surprise because we were not planning on having a third tummy mm. baby, you know. Mm, okay. And um, so when we got pregnant with her, like we had already kind of been talking about. Um, well, I'll say after we had Ren, we had solidified like we will adopt one day, and like our families knew that we will adopt. Um, and so before before a few months before we got pregnant with Pippa I just started feeling like we needed to have some serious conversations about it and so you know Jared and I had talked a lot about kind of planning towards that and like what it would look like to save up and um you know when would be an ideal time to kind of start that process and then um when we got pregnant with Pippa I was kind of grieving that I felt like I never imagined, I mean, we were never going to have a fourth kid, so Mm. I guess we wouldn't adopt, because now we're going to have a third biological child, which is a blessing, and like, that's, we had already processed, like, we wanted a third kid, but we just didn't think it would be a biological child. Yeah, okay. And so, so I had a really rough pregnancy with Pippa, and I, we don't have to go through all of that, (laughs) but um, once she was born, she was definitely like our hardest infant, like, she was just like a fussy kid and took a lot of energy and lots of sleepless nights. And it was just a very different situation than with like our other kids, um, which that's it now it makes so much sense. She has just like a free and wild personality <laughs> and we wouldn't change a thing about her. But when she was about four months old and we were not sleeping through the night. So, I mean, it was still like all hands on deck. We called her our two hander. 
like we had to have two hands on her at all times because she was just that needy. And um, so I started looking into, I think it was like on Facebook, like a, a little girl came up and she had mosaic Down syndrome. And I thought, I haven't read much about mosaic Down syndrome. I started looking into it and I sent the picture to Jared and was like, wouldn't it be awesome if we like adopted this kid? And I expected him to, he's always the reasonable one. And um, <laughs> he messaged me back and was like, ha ha, like, what are you looking at? <laughs> you know? And so, you know, like, it was kind of like an awkward, like, what are you doing? Are you right. crazy? And so after we saw that, that, after that happened, I kind of like started looking at um, like the waiting child list online. And just kind of, I don't know, I was gravitating towards it. And I would send, um, like, send Jared, like, pick screenshots of these kids. And eventually he was like, I said something like, I think I'm going to look more into this. And he said, you should do that. And I thought, there's my green light. Like, what in the world? He's supposed to be like, uh, no, we have a four-month-old that's not sleeping, you know. And so I started, like, talking with some of my friends that – um, had adopted, and um, I actually had a friend from college that was working, like, she worked at the International Adoption Clinic, and so I was like, oh, she could give me some good insight, and so I'll just have coffee with her and, like, talk through, and she can talk me out of this, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so <laughs> I, we just, it just kind of went from there, and it, it wasn't like we started talking about it at four months, and then the next month we had a child or whatever that we were pursuing, we took a lot of time and like really prayed about it and thought like, can we realistically do this? What can our family give? If we're adopting a child with Down syndrome, we need to be financially in a place. And, um, so, but we just like felt like this urge and it made no sense. Like I'm, I am a planner and I'm like, like to have like a, like something like, okay, we need to be financially in the place. We need, you know, have everything lined up. Right. And that was all out the window. Like I, there was, this urge inside of us that like was not slowing down. And so we finally, we met with the adoption agency a few times and we finally turned in our paperwork. And at this point, like we felt so crazy that we were doing this. Like we didn't tell anyone in our family. Like I had a handful of people that like knew and were praying for us, but like our parents, we didn't tell them because I thought they are going to think we are crazy. So unless we're like for sure doing this, like, Let's keep it on the down low so that they don't think we've lost it, you know? <laughs> and um, so we had them over and we told them um, one the night before we turned in our application. And I, they were, I don't know, it was just like this beautiful moment of like celebrating like what God has done for our family. And that mm-hmm. like without like Ren, would we even be here? You know, it's like all these snowballs over and over again. And I think that because of everything that we had gone through, they just kind of were like, we're just going to trust you guys on this. And like, we're hundred percent going to support. We'll do whatever needs to be done. Like let's bring home our baby. Mm. And so, um, with Fox, um, we actually went into the adoption process with a different country in mind. We were going to adopt from Hong Kong because down syndrome is like a need in Hong Kong to Mm. adopt kids with down syndrome. And, um, cost wise, it was a lot, a lot better. It was like half the price of China. That's good. And, yeah. Um, also travel time was reduced and that was something that we were worried about because of having the kids at home. Um, and so we were like, well, that makes sense. Like we'll adopt from Hong Kong over the course of like this 
crazy events, um, we ended up with Fox's file. And um, Fox actually lived at um, a, an amazing foster home in China. It's called the Morning Star Foundation. I don't know if you've heard of it or I seen it. I heard Meredith on a podcast. And so I'll link to that in the show notes because it's fascinating. I didn't know yeah. it existed before that. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I actually followed Meredith Poring. She's on Instagram. And I had followed her because I saw a picture. Someone posted of a, a, this adorable little kid with Down syndrome. And I I guess it was like, anyway, so I started following her. And I followed her through, for like probably a good year before um, knowing anything about Fox. And it was just crazy. Like, I never, I, I followed her, and I would pray for those kids, and I never thought to myself, like, we'll adopt a kid from Morningstar, you know, even though it was something I was connected with on social media. Yeah. And um, anyway, long story short, we ended up with his, with, with, Fo- with Fox, with Fox's, um, through a crazy series of events, and we really shouldn't have been able to have his file. Like, it was just totally a God thing. Like, our agency said we wouldn't be able to obtain his file um, because it was, you know, anyway all the adoption stuff. Wow. And so we got it. And, um, the day that we actually, um, turned in paperwork to, to be his parents, um, to China, we were actually in the hospital with Ren. She was having her heart cath that day. <laughs> so when all that panned out, so it was kind of crazy because, you know, we were talking with the adoption clinic about his file and about his heart condition and processing through all of that and we're sitting with our other little heart baby at the hospital so um it was just crazy um so yeah so we started the journey to bring him home and um I guess it was like in April we turned in our paperwork and then in November we traveled to China um so wow and how has it been since you brought him home and became a family of six um it has been a lot easier than what I anticipated. Okay. Um, so Fox is just like an extraordinary kid. Like he, um, he's been through two heart surgeries in China and is just the bravest kid. He was very accepting of us from the very beginning, like, um, and affectionate and, um, like we, we just didn't have like a lot of adoptions don't go that way. I mean, it takes a little while. The kids are terrified and he just, we kind of had this immediate bond and that was very helpful. Um, and so we, uh, and we had sent him a book of pictures of us and stuff. So I'm not sure. I mean, he is so smart. He's three years old. I mean, he very well could have been like, oh yeah, well they're here. There's my parents. Like I've been staring at them in a book, you know? So, um, so he, I don't know. It was just very comfortable from the beginning and just a natural, um, bond. And so when we got home, I was really concerned about Pippa because she was kind of, she's a mama's girl and she just like likes her people and she stays at home with me most of the time. So she just, she's not used to like new people very often. And, um, so I thought she'll be the one that's going to have the hardest time, but she has the most special bond with Fox and that has been really helpful because mm-hmm. the girls like I don't know it was like they were ready for him you know and wow. they've just been so loving and I mean he's easy to love so I don't know it just hasn't been it's been really good uh, now four is a lot yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know aside from like just the extra messes and the extra laundry and the one more 
high chair I and mean, we have three high chairs in our house and so yes. mealtime can be kind of crazy but I mean it's been really wonderful yeah but. I think sometimes we underestimate our kids abilities to handle challenges and handle transitions and stuff like you said you were concerned about Pippa but she really rose to the occasion and it brought out the best in her and yeah and I think that sometimes when you know I have friends that uh, do foster care and things, and it's like, oh, that must be so hard on your other children is what some people think automatically. But it's like, well, it's actually making them stronger and teaching them values that are really important to us. And so I think sometimes we do have to put our kids in sometimes challenging situations in order to see their true colors and give them that opportunity to really show us what they're made of and develop those character qualities. Is that what you found? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Wow. Well, I just think you guys are so amazing. And I know that you think you're just a normal family and you're doing normal no, things. we and, totally are. And I you promise are. you there is nothing amazing. Like, we're just living this life. Like, But I love I love the growth that you've seen in yourself and the way that you've been able to express yourself. That through this journey, you know, you started out not sure of, of how this is all going to go and if you'd be up to the task of dealing with, you know, the medical stuff and everything. But, but look at you. You're just a normal family. And so to be able to take those uncertain times and uncertain circumstances and adapt to become just normal that's really saying something molly i think that's really inspiring oh, thank you. that's amazing <laughs> well i always ask my guests one final question molly and it's this what would you tell your pre-motherhood self um well, I think first I would say, hey, girl, you're going to have four kids, so that's crazy. <laughs> Get buckle up, yeah. <laughs> that would have never, I mean, if people would laugh if, like, they would never imagine me having four kids, but, mm-hmm. um, but I would also be like, I think I would tell myself, like, have more confidence in yourself. Like, you are who God made you to be, and, like, you don't have to change that to fit into, like, this this mom, this ideal mom that you have in your mind, you know, um, I would tell myself to give, you know, give myself some grace, um, because I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, but yeah. And I, I would also just like, hold on for the ride. Cause like the (laughs) dreams that you have in your mind, like God is going to blow those away. Like your life is not going to look like what you imagine. It's going to be a million times better than you could imagine. So that's great. That's awesome. Molly, where can people find you online if they want to find out more about your family and follow along? Um, yeah, so I'm on Instagram. Um, it's nothing special. It's just a page. I, I probably overpost at times about my kids. <laughs> no, but, you um, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Molly Glasgow on Instagram. Okay. And I'll link to that in the show notes on Extraordinary Moms podcast, as well as the interview with uh, Meredith who's going to, who, uh, talks so beautifully about the Morningstar, um, organization and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. I would encourage people to go and follow her page. And I mean, there's even opportunities to like sponsor kids. Um, and a lot of those sponsors are the people who, I mean, they're the reason that my kid is alive today. I mean, they helped pay for those two open heart surgeries that he had in China and I mean, that organization fought for him to, to be alive. Like, and he shouldn't, but he is a complete miracle. So Ugh. I would, you know, more so than going to check out my Instagram page, like go check out Meredith Toe Ring and um, the yeah. Morningstar Foundation because that is an amazing place to plug in. And that's something you can do from, you know, your computer or your phone here to encourage her or to send money and like help orphans in China. Like that's yes. an amazing opportunity. So. Yeah. Perhaps you don't feel called to adopt and to, to step out like that, but definitely if you're feeling called to support kids like Fox, 
their financial donations are huge and go so yes. far for these precious Absolutely. kids that don't have that support, like you said. So um, that's amazing. Molly, thank you so much for sharing yeah. your story. It's been so fun talking to you, and I want your accent so bad. But <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for putting your family out there because it's really – I stumbled upon you by accident, and it's been the happiest accident because I just love seeing your family grow and – just celebrating motherhood. It's really beautiful. Thanks for being an extraordinary mom, Molly. Oh, thank you. Have a great day. All right, you too. I want to thank Molly for sharing her family with us today. The thing that I've learned about interviewing these moms of children with Down syndrome is this. We need to talk about these stories of children with Down syndrome or other special needs or adoption or interracial families. We need to talk about these stories because we need to normalize these conversations. Just like Heather said, just like Molly said, their life is far more normal than we give them credit for. Yes, they have these circumstances and these additional challenges and therapies and doctor's appointments, but there's a lot of families that go through a lot of unique things in order to support their own kids with their own set of circumstances. Every child has their own needs in some way or another, and we're just doing the best we can to support these kids. And so when we see these kids at the park, Ultimately, they're a child first. And so teaching our children to not look at the differences, but to include them and be respectful. And certainly, um, role-playing with them is a great way to help them to overcome any initial type of aversion they might have. Sure, it's fine to recognize there are those differences, but to be able to get beyond that, that is our goal for with our kids. And we need to be explicit with those types of, of teachings that we teach our kids. So... Thanks, Molly, for sharing. You can go to my website, ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com, and see pictures of her family and links to everything that we talked about today. You can also follow me on Instagram at JessicaDalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. It's been a pleasure being with you. I'm excited for a great month of interviews, and I would love it if you'd share this show with a friend if you're loving what you're hearing. So have an awesome day, and I'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.